0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. The White House and GOP reportedly near a deal that would see the debt ceiling raised for two years past the 2024 elections, with just a week to go before the Treasury runs out of money.
0: There's no agreement. Uh,
2: Look, it's not easy. This is a a big issue, and it's not something you can solve easily. We want to make sure it's worthy of the American people, and we'll continue working until we get it done.
1: The Nasdaq closes up 1.7 percent, with Nvidia shares leading the charge, and powering a rally in tech stocks as AI fever takes hold on Wall Street.
0: The U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo holds candid and substantive talks with her Chinese counterpart in the first cabinet-level talks in months after a string of incidents hypes, tensions between uh, Washington and Beijing. And Spain counting down to absolutely pivotal regional elections this weekend with the Socialist Party candidate Cristina Martinez hailing her party's handling of the crucial region of Valencia.
2: Socialists have demonstrated our capacity of management in social terms with some examples such as the tax reform, but also in economical terms.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, happy Friday. Got
0: your popcorn? Yeah. I mean, do they talk over the weekend? I don't know if they do.
1: I think they're going to have to. I mean, you know, we're almost at the end of the movie, supposedly. Do you know We what? haven't got the I ending. Mean, there's so
0: much to say, and we'll speak to Michael Yoshikami about this at the moment, but is the market... I think the market... If it wasn't for NVIDIA, I think the market would be seriously running out of reasons to buy I mean, yeah. you've got good data, which is not good for those of you who are looking for massive cuts next year and this year. In, and Plus, you've got the debt ceiling debate going on it's hard to find reason to buy the market if you're not getting excited about overpriced AI.
1: I agree, I mean, there's been some cover that's been lent from the AI trade. If you think about how the ratings agencies are now on the sidelines saying, look, the process could be a problem here now when it comes to this debt selling issue. And this was something we're talking about weeks ago that there could be one leg where you see the markets react to what the ratings agencies do and how they approach the story. The second actually around the detail itself. And you know, here we are in the weeks out, there are concerns around the AAA rating.
0: But maybe it's gonna be one of those rubbish movies where actually you kind of think you're trying to walk, look at your watch and you want to walk out a bit earlier. It was very, very hyped because at the end of the day, I was looking at the VIX down at 19 as well, down f- over 4% yesterday. They do not seem that excited about it in, in, in premium protection world.
1: Yeah, some politics here too, as we always knew was going to be the case. Yeah. We've got an election around the corner, presidential election. Yeah. We know it's not going to be an easy one. We get past that and I think both sides don't really want to go into a tough negotiation of trying to lift the debt ceiling again. So there is a view of trying to just kick this one out a little bit further so there's breathing room no matter who is elected to the White House. So they're a bit closer are they? Yeah, so top White House officials and Republican lawmakers are reportedly moving closer to an agreement to raise the debt limit and cap federal spending for two years. Negotiators are just $70 billion apart on discretionary spending. This according to multiple reports. Under terms that are slimmed down in this agreement, defense spending would be permitted to rise 3% next year, in line with President Biden's budget request, with other discretionary spending, including housing and education, to be hammered out in the months ahead. Both parties are expected to hold more meetings later today. The House has already left for the Memorial Day weekend recess. U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he remains committed to finding an agreement that is suitable for both sides.
0: There's no agreement. Uh, look, it's not easy. This is a,
2: a big issue and it's not something you can solve easily. We want to make sure it's worthy of the American people and we'll continue working until we get it done. We'll continue working hard and I think we've got time. We're going to get this done.
1: Let's take a look at the market reaction. You can see patches of red across uh, on the major boards, down by about a tenth of a percent on the Dow. This was again another move weaker, fifth negative trade in uh, the uh, in a row is what we've witnessed. Again, very small ranges. The market cautious here. If you look at some of the big movers to the downside, this time was Home Depot for the likes of the Dow, but that AI effect, the Nvidia effect on markets around generative AI, and this stock being propelled towards being a trillion dollar market cap, you can see that uh, it was very supportive, undercurrent from these markets, 1.7%, propping up the Nasdaq, uh, the S&P 500 up nine-tenths of a percent, of course, uh, the big moving stock to the upside. But uh, funnily enough, as you look across the tech universe, it was Amazon that was the most negative stock. So it wasn't exactly all tech stocks bouncing together. Let's just take a look at how how this played out over the course of the trade. You can see Apple almost seven-tenths higher, 3.8 up for Microsoft. But Netflix was down. And perhaps a nod to the conversation we are having yesterday, whether this is uh, the end that should be stepping out of the the fang stocks now and NVIDIA should be stepping in instead. Netflix down 1.6% and Amazon also a weak link down 1.5%. Let's take a look elsewhere at the uh, Treasury market. This is how we've been positioned. 451 the level we're now trading at at the short end. So we've seen this elevation come into the yields at the short end of the curve from uh, T-bills to the Treasuries as the market is pricing around the potential for a default given just how tight this time frame is now. To the dollar trade, and um, this is how dollar has been uh, travelling morning session at least. It is a little bit weaker versus sterling euro. So we're trying to claw back some territory. That said, there's been some weakness in the, the sterling and euro trade this week. One twenty-three thirty-four now. $1.0738 is uh, on the back foot versus the jack- Japanese yen, and also versus the yuan. To the Asian markets, uh, we're traveling ex-Hong Kong. There has been, again, fresh appetite for stocks in Japan. The AI effect again, just driving this market forward. Reassessment on earnings as well, it's been a strong trade. So the market uh, again seeing more inflows and that is bolstering the fortunes of this market. Uh, Seventh weekly gain in a row. So this as you tally up those gains over seven weeks, the longest winning streak in five years. So Japanese stocks have added about $460 billion. So if you think the market's been going up, you've been watching it, you've been absolutely right. We're above 31,000 points. It's in contrast to the weakness of across the Chinese market, The uh, South Korea market travels higher by about two tenths of a percent.
0: Yeah, so many interesting features there, not least the fact that the yen under so much pressure but just uh, abating some of those declines. But uh, something just doesn't feel right there, does it? Anyway, US growth was revised higher in the first quarter to uh, 1.3%. That's good news, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. It's good news that you're growing your economy. Uh, For those of you who want interest rate cuts, um, you're not going to get it, are you? Uh, Up uh, from 1.1% on the year, beating expectations. The first three months of the year also saw an increase in consumer spending. That's good news, by the way, if you've got a consumer-based economy, uh, for those of you who are still looking for those cuts. Exports and government spending at uh, the federal and state level. Meanwhile, this is also good news despite the fact that some of you want uh, those cuts. You're not going to see them, are you? Uh, Meanwhile, initial jobless claims rose by a modest 4,000 last week to 229,000. But it's the numbers from the previous weeks that were interesting, uh, revised sharply lower. Uh, Extraordinary reason. I mean, it's it's like those target figures all over again, as as fraudulent applications in Massachusetts were removed. So look, you're getting good data on GDP, good data uh, on jobless claims. The problem is... You lot have factored in massive load of cuts uh, by the end of next year. Not sure where you get those cuts from at the moment. Uh, this is a pivotal day of data, though. Investors are keeping an eye out for the Fed's preferred PCE inflation gauge. April's numbers due at 7:30 p.m. Central European Time. Uh, The the on-the-year figure has declined steadily since January's high of 7%, but core is proving stickier.
1: Let's get to Michael Yoshikami, who is founder and CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Michael, you might be tempted to hit the bleachers and watch this one play out with all the risks around the debt ceiling and monetary (coughs) policy, but a major game is being played around AI at this stage, and we saw that through NVIDIA stock and beyond yesterday. What are you doing? What are you thinking right now when you look at this market?
2: Well, well, first of all, the debt crisis, I'm not terribly concerned about. It's going to be a lot of press, a lot of politics. But in the end, um, I think they're going to get a deal done. What they've already hammered, I think, is palatable enough to both parties to make that happen. So I think that issue goes away. Uh, In terms of what's happening in AI, AI is the new thing. I don't think it's um, overhyped. I think some of the stocks are rallying very, very strongly. And in fact, I saw Someone on cnbc.com said that they think the market rally is going to end because you're going to see a crash in AI stocks. I don't necessarily see you'll see a crash in AI stocks, but I think that at some point um, companies have to be priced at reasonable levels. So I think it's we're in a trading range right now until so we see um until we see what's going to happen with monetary policy but i'm not overly fearful right now i'm not terribly optimistic but i think we're in a trading range territory
1: yeah that is a good point michael because i was looking at the week today performance on the nasdaq and with this nvidia story playing out you might be uh, thinking that it would have been a strong trade for the week but we're up only a third of a percent so far barely anything right so how specific do you need to be around the ai trade at this point uh, versus technology more broadly
2: Well, I think, I think you need to be more, um, selective. I think, um, when you buy AI companies that are primarily focused on that, chip development, uh, research capabilities uh, on AI, I, I think it's a much better effect than buying something that's completely watered down by other business. It's no different than RFID technology. Uh, gee, that really looks like a big, big, big deal that many companies using has very minor effect or even blockchain technology. Yes, that's exciting, but what are the valuations around blockchain? So. Investors have to be very, very careful uh, because we're in a situation right now where there's a lot of mania. Um, I was just talking to someone who works at NVIDIA yesterday and uh, they were giddy. (laughs) And it always makes me nervous when that happens.
0: I'm with you, Michael. Um, But come on, you're in San Francisco. We we, we love a frenzy in tech world, don't we? I mean, the fact is, how many times have our viewers got to listen to Karen, you, me, talking about the latest big thing? Uh, and I remember some of the conversations where we're like, yeah, great. Cloud's great. Um, com is great. Uh, SPAC's not so great. But people love a puff, don't they? They never learn, do they, Michael?
2: You know what? The, the cloud is exactly a perfect example. If you look at the cloud stock, still a huge growing industry. But look how far those cloud stocks are down, even though that's a huge growing industry. That's where investors need to be careful. I couldn't help but notice your subtle hint that you didn't think interest rates were going to be cut this year. So I wanted to comment on that. Um, I think there's a 50-50 chance they'll cut in a minor way, because I do think even though you see positive economic data right now, we're probably going to see a shallow recession next quarter or the following quarter. I think the Fed stops raising and then maybe cuts a quarter. Not some massive cut, but the Fed cuts a quarter. People will flip out and be euphoric.
0: I don't have a problem with that, Michael. I just kind of, I just look at the Fed fund futures rate and I just look at, I look, you, yeah. there's just something absolutely bonkers going on here. And, and do you know what? Well, I sometimes yeah. wish I was back in the market. I've traded a few bond options in my time. I've traded a few equity options as well. Yeah. And some of the bets that are being made, I mean, let me just pick out yeah. a random one. November 2024, by the end of November 2024, there is a 24% chance, which is the top of the bell curve distribution, that rates are going to be two point seven five percent, really, by the end of next year? I
2: can't see it, Michael. Yeah, Can you? No, I, I. No, the only way that happens is if you have a prolonged recession. Um, you have oil prices that are falling. That's going to really give more juice to economic activity. It's going to reduce inflation rates. But you know, what do you say? It, it, there, there's a. There's a minor chance. I think people are just speculating, but I think that you know when we get in these kind of markets where you have this sort of industry buzz, AI or you know whatever it is, autonomous driving, people just go nuts. And do we ever learn? I guess we're all trying to learn, but the 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 key for investors, I think, and certainly for your viewers, is to be skeptical. No matter what they hear me say, or you say, or anybody else say. Think about it. Look at it yourself and ask yourself this question. Is this a reasonable stock given what we think the earnings are going to be for the next five years? If it's not, you're putting an optimism premium on that asset that you better be um, awfully sure about because that's where really tears come. How dare
0: you, Michael? How dare you say that 26 times forward sales, not earnings, sales, uh, is, is is a frothy valuation. Quite extraordinary, Michael. I I've I grew up in a world where three to five times was uh, a decent amount to buy a company. Look, in terms of that, and I, I you know I agree with you on probably 95% of what we're talking about here, um, th- there is no risk being appreciated either in the bond markets as we just discussed, or sorry, the, the, the interest rate world uh, and indeed in the market as well. Are we setting ourselves up for a big fall in the second half of the year?
2: Uh, that's possible if, if, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but if we don't go into slower economic growth in the United States and maybe even a shallow recession, that might be actually considered a negative because interest rates might not be cut or might even continue to go up, if that's the case, that's the risk for the market. You're obviously going to see lots of companies guiding forward on a more conservative basis. Yeah, we see that happening. Obviously, layoffs suggest that's the case, um, that they should be guiding lower. But I think you have to be very, very, to me, it all really is going to come down to, is the economy going to touch near a recession? Believe it or not, if that happens, I think that'll be good news. If the economy avoids it and keeps on its frothy path, Uh, then I think we're going to have some problems in the market at the second half of the year.
1: Michael, can we just debate the motivation for the Fed here? Because I'm you know, looking at a report from DataTrack talking about California, two-month consecutive stretch of subpar growth that uh, a recession has to start somewhere. Maybe it's California. Uh-huh. But what does it the will, Fed do think, if it sees right. that there is evidence of a slowdown in the economy, yet it's still got a very tight labour market that is going to fuel wages, the wage price spiral? What does it do in that context? Does it <clears> cut <throat> because it wants to show up growth? Or does it hold up because it's worried that inflation has not been tamed?
2: Well, here's the problem that the Fed has is is cut is a really pretty drastic move. Now, we're all kind of used to it by now because they've been raising so much. But what you'll start to see, Karen, is they'll start trying to nudge things down without cutting rates by the speeches they give. In fact, you're already starting to see that now over the last two week news cycle. We have all these Fed governors coming out and making these proclamations to really sort of massage the market in whatever direction they want to go. The Fed uses interest rate policy policy but language to affect interest rates in the open market. And that's what the Fed will likely do and then see how it plays out. They'll nudge first before they take the cipher of action.
0: Mr. Yoshikami, always a pleasure, sir. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We're on Friday. It's not so bad on Friday. Uh, have a, a lovely evening and we'll uh, we'll see you again soon, Michael. Michael Yoshikami, right, founder it. and CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Well, if you don't want to listen to what we're saying, why don't you listen to what Loretta Mesta has to say? because she's gonna reiterate something. I can almost guarantee you that the Cleveland Fed president, when our US colleagues interview her at 1700 CET, she will turn around and say, look at the data. I'm pretty sure she'll turn around and say, look, there might be a case for a pause, but we just don't know until we've seen the data. And yet the market isn't prepared to, I don't know, have the nuance or the subtlety about it. Markets all binary, Karen. That's right. Uh, in the
1: meantime, let me tell you what's coming up on the show. The U.S. and China hold high-level talks for the first time in months, but some things just don't change as the world's two largest economies clash on trade. And for more on the debt ceiling negotiations as well as the latest market action, you can check out the Squawk podcast. Lufthansa will take a 41% stake in ITA Airways, agreeing to a €325 million investment in the carrier. The deal was confirmed after a meeting between Lufthansa's CEO and the Italian economy minister, with the German flag carrier now set to jointly manage ITA, including naming a new CEO once the deal closes. ASDA is reportedly planning to merge with petrol stations group EG in a deal worth £10 billion. That is according to our sister channel Sky News. The merger could help the British retailer expand into the UK convenience store sector, with both groups operating a combined network of more than 600 supermarkets and over 700 petrol stations. ASDA is expected to announce more details today.
0: Shares in Gap rose sharply in extended trade after the retailer announced a smaller than expected net loss despite continued declines in sales across its brands. Uh, Gross margins actually rose over 5% on the year, driven by lower air freight costs and fewer discounts, whilst inventory levels have fallen 27% since last year. Uh, JP Morgan is reportedly planning to cut around 1,000 jobs at First Republic Bank after taking over the California-based lender earlier this month. The move equates to around 15% of the bank's staff, according to multiple reports. The remaining 85% will be offered roles at JP Morgan, with many of those in short-term transition jobs of up to one year. Right. The U.S. and China traded barbs as commerce ministers met in Washington, D.C. The White House described the talks as, quote, candid and substantive uh, as it raised concerns on trade, investment and export policies. But Sam has more. And Sam, at least they're talking. Uh, And I guess that's uh, a bit of progress. But were they talking at each other or with each other?
3: Well. Well, they used all the same language, as you said, uh, describing these talks as candid and professional and constructive. But really, some of the criticism coming from China has been that the US is doing one thing and saying the other. So let's see what happens. But as you say, at least the two sides are talking. And as you mentioned, it's the first cabinet level meeting that we've seen actually in DC between these two sides uh, since the Biden team took office. So that's a positive step. Uh, This was really a chance for the two sides to sort of hammer out their differences when it comes to the commercial relationship. Uh, Gina Raimondo meeting with her Chinese counterpart, that is Wang Tao overnight. And for the U.S., it was really a chance to lay out some of their concerns about uh, what's been happening with regards to uh, U.S. companies over in China lately, because, of course, this comes just days after those restrictions had been slapped on Micron. Uh, there's also been a lot of concerns within the U.S. business community about uh, these police raids on a number of U.S. consultancy firms that we've heard about, the likes of Bain & Co. Etc., that has very much spooked uh, foreign investors uh, as well. Uh, As far as the Chinese were concerned, this was a chance for them to lay out some of their worries uh, about U.S. economic and trade policy right now. They particularly, uh, especially mentioned the area of semiconductors off the back of what we've seen, uh, certainly under the Biden administration, with regards to that sector. uh, Also, talking about these export controls and foreign investment, because, of course, uh, one of the concerns certainly coming from the U.S. uh, for China has been uh, that these moves we've seen against the likes of Micron and also these U.S. consultancy firms uh, really is contrary to what China is aiming to do to attract some of that uh, foreign capital. Uh, So that was certainly what they had to say uh, to each other. But I suppose the positive uh, thing to come out of all of this was they agreed to continue to talk, to keep those lines of communication open. Now, Wang Wontao, the Commerce Minister from China, is actually in the U.S. uh, for an APEC meeting of trade representatives over in Detroit. Uh, and he is expected next to meet with the trade representative Catherine Tai, who's certainly kept the pressure on China uh, over the years, really running with uh, Trump's policy, particularly when it comes to those Trump era tariffs, uh, etc. She's had different views to the likes of uh, Janet Yellen, uh, etc. It does come off the back of uh, Wang Tao earlier this week, actually speaking with US companies, interestingly over in Shanghai, the likes of JJ, 3M, Dow, um, and really saying that they continue to welcome these US companies to develop and grow over in China. Because as I said, uh, there have been a lot of worries that have been growing in China over treatment of these companies uh, and also intimidation and some of these firms uh, being targeted. So uh, there has been some suggestion that in terms of the motivation here, as far as China is concerned, uh, maybe one of the considerations for re-engagement here after really uh, giving the US a bit of a cold shoulder um, over the last few months or so, particularly since the balloon saga, uh, is President Xi Jinping uh, potentially heading to an APAC leaders meeting in San Francisco in November. And there's also talk reportedly of a possible meeting uh, with Biden. So maybe that is why we're seeing this being used very much as a priority. As far as the US is concerned, um, just in recent days, we have heard uh, a lot of criticism uh, about China's moves against uh, Micron, that it was a reaction to some of the rhetoric we heard from the G7 uh, members etc but again uh, this really uh, is being seen as a way to to, to continue to talk and the US has been suggesting that uh, after Tony Blinken's uh, trip to China was postponed that they are still keen uh, to have these uh, high level engagements Uh, and Janet Yellen they are obviously planning for her trip to China as well so what this is really being seen as is a barometer and a test uh, very much of how they're able to actually get this relationship back on track and I think the next test will be next week while they've covered trade now um, when it comes to the area of defence because uh, they will uh, be having this summit here in Singapore uh, Karen, uh, so that'll be the next thing to watch out for in terms of uh, whether they can hammer out some of their differences around uh, the area of security as well. Back to you.
1: Sam, Thank. Thank you very much for bringing us the detail just going to segue over to commodity prices because we have seen some weakness in copper prices iron ore this week and also around oil this says uh, there are concerns around that reopening theme out of china now oil prices have come under pressure again today amid conflicting messages too from two major producers ahead of the next opec plus meeting in june russia's alexander novak played down the likelihood of further production cuts while president putin said energy prices were approaching economically justified levels. Those comments come hot on the heels of the Saudi energy minister, Prince Abdullah bin Salman, warning short sellers to watch out, which came uh, was a sign for some that producers could consider deeper cuts. If you look at the price action over the course of the month, what were down 6.5% on WTI were down 5% over the trading month for Brent.
0: I mean, look, I, I, I would never take on the Saudis on this and you know I mean, they are the most powerful players still in world oil but the fact of the matter is is he targeting the wrong people Is he, I mean there was, we quoted that great piece of Goldman's research earlier this week that pretty much said a lot of this selling is people who actually own it and have just de-stocked de-stocked financial players because of the cost of funding de-stocked owners of the product, consumers, because they think actually they don't need so much product and the economy is slowing down. It's not just SPRs in the US, it's SPRs on a global base as well. So is there just something very naturally going on? China has underwhelmed the um, stockings going on. Financial players are not long the market. And you know, maybe he's, he's firing off at the speculators, but for once, maybe they're not the villains. Uh, a view, too, on what the
1: Russians are playing out here by sort of effectively saying that there may not be any more production cuts and this is the right level on, on the price. Well,
0: the Russians, are, for one of a better word, the Russians are screwed at the current price. They're not making any money on this at because they, they're discounted price. Because bear in mind, you know, it's 77 bucks for... Um, Brent and a lower price for WTI, but Russian Urals which is you know this heavy sour oil, which you know they're trying to sweeten up to make it easier for consumers. But the fact of the matter is, uh, are they making any money with a discounted price from what they're selling uh, to Asian customers and elsewhere? There is an argument that they are actually in deficit and under a lot of pressure on the in, in terms of the, the the budget of russia at the current prices and actually the sanctions are working
1: yeah it's funny i don't think we've heard Putin weigh in that often in recent times on the price well, So that know, was i'll tell quite you what the other thing I? that
0: everyone's talking about now is is the relationship between russia and china on gas mm. as well and how the um this great big Siberia line at the moment, you know, it's, it's going to be big problems. Are, are the Chinese ever going to sign up to a second Siberia line And as the Russians try to kind of pivot to the east, which is what they keep talking about what they're doing? But can, can they do it? Do the Chinese want to do it? And is the cost going to be prohibitive? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.